Hello and welcome to Parenting with a Punch show. I am your host, Amanda Hool, founder of Parenting with a Punch. Thank you for joining us. I have my guest here, Marissa Siegel, licensed uh, speech therapist out of Portland, Oregon. We are here in live. We This is probably our third or fourth time today. So welcome, Marissa. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we're finally able to chat. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for coming on and for being patient and for our viewers to um, finally get a chance to tune into our show. So thank you. <laughs> so, okay. Talk to us. The your book that you just recently published, Sammy Goes to Speech. Tell us all about it. So Sammy Goes to Speech. Um, I just published it just a few weeks ago. Um, we're official, so it is um, available as an ebook and as a paperback edition. And I'm super excited. This is my first book, so hopefully there will be many more to come but this is a really exciting time for me. Absolutely. Congratulations. This is a, a huge uh, feat that, I mean, I, something to celebrate greatly. So, <laughs> so where can, um, where can our viewers get your book? Sammy goes to speech. Where can they find it? So it's available on Amazon. Um, you, if you go to amazon.com and just type in Sammy goes to speech, you should be able to find it. Um, we also have a website. It's just sammygoestospeech.com. So you'll be able to click a link to be able to purchase it. And there's also um, materials on the website as well. Awesome. Fabulous. So for our viewers watching, go on Amazon and get the book. Is there, like, I think you mentioned there's like no speech books out there, correct? No children's books. Yeah. So when I was thinking about what kind of book I wanted to write, um, I did a little bit of research and there are barely any books available um, that have a child who goes to speech in it. Never mind a book about a child that goes to speech. Uh, so this this is, you know, a very rare thing and I'm trying to help fill the void. Absolutely. So this is a lot of what inspired you to write this particular book, right? Or what gave you the idea to sort of like put it out there? Yeah. So last year, the SLP group that I work with or the speech therapy group that I work with in the schools, um, we did a little group trying to find different books um, and make activities for our speech therapy um, based on the books. And I noticed that you know, of all the books, none of them had a kid that was going to speech therapy, uh, which was so ironic. You know, that's the one thing we were looking for. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you um, where are you originally from? You're you live in Portland and you are originally from where? So I grew up in Virginia, but okay. uh, we moved to the West Coast. We've been in California. We've been in Oregon. Um, for a short time, I was living in Maryland. So we're, we're hopping from state to state here. There you go. Love it. <laughs> now you work as a speech therapist. Uh, and where, where do you work? What um, town and what age do you work with? So I work in Southern Washington state. Um, I work with preschoolers up through fifth grade. 
Um, so yeah, about age four, all the way up through fifth grade. Yep. Top of elementary school. Awesome. Awesome. And how long have you been there? Ooh, just a few years now. Um, before this, I was doing a lot in private practices. So I'm relatively new to the schools, but still have a few years under my belt. Yeah. Well, so how do you, how do you like working in a school as opposed to working uh, out of a private practice? Oh, you know, there's pros and cons. I really like it, though. The school district that I work in is a great district. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's just different. The hours are different. The kind of caseload is different. Mm -hmm. um, but I like being able to work with a big group of speech therapists and a big group of educators. So it's, right. I like it. It's pretty nice. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, having having worked in both, like, through agencies and schools, there there's definitely a difference. So... I, I, I definitely know where you're coming from. <laughs> um, so when it comes to speech development, is there a specific age um, that parents should sort of start looking into getting services or, um, and this is kind of going to like two, two questions um, or this, and, and as well as the signs that they should look for when, um, looking into speech services? Sure, good questions. Um, and I get this all the time. So <laughs> I'm glad that you asked it. Um, so, you know, as a speech therapist, we know number one, early intervention is the best. You know, you have the, the best prognosis and the best outcomes the earlier the therapy starts if you need it. So um, hopefully um, by age two or three, you're noticing if there is a delay or a concern Hopefully you can bring them in uh, to your pediatrician or to a licensed speech therapist and get it checked out, um, whether that be by a screening or an evaluation. Um, it's a good thing to do. So trust your gut, bring them in if you have any concerns, um, but definitely the earlier the better by age two or three, yeah, for sure. Okay, now, and now what are some of the signs that parents should look for? Um, I mean, of course, there's developmental um, milestones, but for parents um, that don't know their, you know, ch children's milestones, what, what should they look for um, in terms of like being delayed in their speech? Sure. So um, there's, especially early on, there's some pretty easy milestones to look for. Um, so by about age one, you want to make sure that your child is saying um, their first words and, you know, you should see them babbling back and forth, um, maybe even some made up words. And by about age two, you want to see them being able to put a couple words together, if not more. Um, also, by age two, you want them to have around 50 words. If they're not getting about 50 words out to you, then there should be a little concern there. Um, and then by about, about age three, you want even more words and about putting three words together. Um, and that's the language side of things. You also want to kind of pay attention to the sounds that they're making. Hopefully they're making a variety of different consonant and vowel sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's other things to look for too, like the social aspect. Um, you know, are they able to do activities with you together, um, have their attention joined on the same thing, that joint attention piece? Um, you know, are they, do they have conversation skills? Are they starting to play with the other kids? Mm -hmm. um, lots to look for. 
Right. No, absolutely. So when, with the conversation piece, so like the reciprocal communication, um, mm-hmm. do you find that kiddos that, um, struggle with some of, some of these, um, developmental milestones that they typically end up with speech services? Like, are, are they getting a variety of, um, support in, in, uh, in congruence with speech therapy as far as, um, maybe one-to-one or any, or maybe even behavioral therapy or any sort of, um, other specializations? Yeah. So definitely, you know, the kids that I work with, um, in the schools, we have physical therapists, occupational therapists, behavioral therapists. Um, there's lots of different supports that kids can get. Um, but it's definitely on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Some kids will only need speech therapy. Some kids need a variety of different therapies and supports. Um, it just depends on their diagnosis and how much support they need, but there's definitely a lot available. Right. Well, that, that's great to hear that it's available in your district because I, having done a lot of research from having moved back um, to New Hampshire from Brooklyn, New York, um, the need for services or even just like one-to-one um, as far as children that are falling, uh, falling um, behind in some of their developmental domains is so very difficult. So it, it really, really warms my heart to hear that um, these type of services are available out there because they, they are in New York. Um, but some of the East coast and even some, some other districts in the West coast, unfortunately the services aren't provided. So I think anytime I hear that they're available to kids, I, it just, it makes me so happy because they, these, (laughs) they they need these services. And it, it just, as, as you said, the early, the early intervention is so, so huge. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do want to say, you know, if you're concerned about services or don't know where to look, um, you can always get in touch with the schools in your area and they should be able to um, hook you up with some different services or point you to where um, you can look for different supports. Um, The schools are usually pretty good about being able to provide that information in, in all the different areas. Right. Okay. Very cool. Well, good to know for our parents that are, that are watching and especially for those that tune in, uh, locally by you or even, you know, in the district that you work in. So very, very cool. So my next question, um, as far as, so you mentioned the sounds, um, certain sounds that, that children should make, um, by a certain age. Could you just give us, um, an example of what some of those sounds that, or, uh, I guess letters that they should know, um, Sure. So um, pretty early on, there's a set of sounds um, that kids develop in the English language. Um, You know, every kid is different, um, and especially with different dialects, there's differences. Um, But some of the earliest ones could be the sounds for the P, B, M, N, and W. Um, Those are usually the earliest developing ones. You typically see kids babble with those um, if they're typically developing pretty early on, age ages one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, once they get towards age three and age four, you might see uh, more sounds develop like the K sound, the G sound. Um, and there's other ones as well, like the T, D, and F sounds. Those are pretty early developing. 
but you know, don't be too concerned if your child can't say like an R or a TH and they're still only two or three. Those tend to be a little bit later developing. So, um, you know, there's a, a different timeline um, for the different sounds and definitely quite the range with um, the ages that kids develop these. Um, but if you're interested, um, there are some good resources on milestones, especially for articulation and language okay. online. Um, you know, just make sure that the sites you're looking at um, are research based. Right. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, now, what are your thoughts on echolalia as far as children, um, you know, repeating what you say? And if parents are seeing some of this, like what what are some of the signs or concerns that they should have um, if they are hearing this from their children? Good question. Um, so echolalia um, usually means um, an echo of what someone says. So a child repeating exactly back what someone says. And really early on, you know, um, before age one or even into age um, up to age two a little bit, um, usually that repeating can be a good thing. You know, you want your child to repeat back um, and kind of have a conversation going. You know, you know, you want them to be able to repeat mama and dada yeah. uh, and those little words and babbles. Um, but as they get older, you know, you want them to start saying some words on their own. Um, and if the echolalia or echoing continues, um, you might want to think about um, you know, does my child have the social skills available to take those conversational turns mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the language skills as well? Because some, sometimes kiddos will um, use that echolalia if they're not quite sure what to say as well. Um, so it could be a sign of different diagnoses. Um, typically, um, kiddos that are on the autism spectrum can sometimes have echolalia as a symptom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, different things to look out for, for sure. Right. Okay, great. Well, thank you. So, I mean, do you, do you oftentimes see uh, kiddos that have the echolalia not on the autism spectrum, or do you typically see the echolalia more with children on the autism spectrum? Just out of curiosity. So it definitely depends, but echolalia definitely is uh, more of a symptom for kids on the autism spectrum. Um, but like I said, you know, early on, you want kids to be repeating your different sounds and different words because that's how kids are learning um, right. how to say those words and sounds. Um, but again, if if you see your child only using echolalia, mm -hmm. um, then it could definitely be a symptom of um, being on the autism spectrum. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, sure. And then also the, um, the social cue piece as far as like during your sessions and, and working with um, your children. Now, do you do um, group sessions as well um, for kiddos that may be a, a bit more higher functioning, um, I guess, if you will, or maybe have more language? Um, or do you find that most benefit from just the one-to-one -one support with you? Um, it depends. So in a school setting, um, sometimes there are individual sessions, but more often than not, there are group sessions, mm -hmm. um, depending on a child's need and um, especially, you know, where they're at in their therapy. Um, but also, you know, it depends. So um, 
like right now I have a few students in mind that actually really prefer going in a group mm -hmm. rather than one-on-one -on -one just because they like to see, you know, see their friends and have that peer model um, to help them along. Mm -hmm. um, but some kids definitely do need that one-to-one -one a little bit more. Um, and sometimes uh, speech therapists are able to do that in schools, um, depending on their caseload and what their schedules look like. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes not, sometimes groups um, uh, throughout the day are a little bit more of their reality. Um, it just goes, um, but then again, you know, if uh, a child is in private speech therapy, that could look really different. Um, and it would pr probably be more of a one-to-one uh, situation there. Okay. Now, and I'm sure you probably get this question a lot, but do you have parents often asking you um, how long they can expect their child to be in speech or, um, you know, what the, what it looks like for their child? <laughs> all the time, all the time, um, <laughs> especially, you know, if the child is first starting out in speech um, you know, obviously it's good to have questions and mm -hmm. uh, think about these things. And, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell me exactly how long right. a speech would take for different kids. Um, but I mean, you know, there's different prognosis um, indicators, like, you know, is, is the speech concern relatively mild? Right. Then, you know, maybe it won't take quite as long. But if um, a speech concern is a little bit more severe, maybe it'll take longer. Um, but it depends on the individual and how motivated they are. Um, there's so many factors, like, you know, how involved parents are, the more involved they are, and the more they're working on with their child at home, mm -hmm. typically the better prognosis as well. Um, so parents do have a have the power in this situation as well um, to make therapy go a little bit quicker. But like I said before, it definitely does depend um, on the individual child. Yeah, okay. Well, that, I mean, that, that of course makes sense. And I think it's just hard for parents to sort of wrap their heads around it sometimes. And, you know, it, it's, I, you know, naturally can be overwhelming and, and frustrating for them and um, scary, you know, um, for that and to wonder where their child will fall developmentally, you know, with their peers. So I think I, you know, collaborating with speech therapists when I was living in New York was such a huge piece of, um, you know, all working together as a team. So I, it's, it's, it's an important, it's an important piece to get that support. So with the, um, I know you just mentioned about the parent support in the home or, um, you know, is a lot of it you giving the parents homework or quote unquote, like activities to do, or maybe worksheets, um, that the parents are given to be able to carry over, uh, you know, working on maybe some of the sounds and such with the kiddos at home. Mm -hmm. So, um, that kind of depends on the child's age to me. Yeah. Um, when we have these kids who are, you know, getting older in middle school and high school and are, and are still needing some speech support. Yeah. Yes, obviously, you know, of course we want parents support at home. Yeah. Um, but typically, um, especially since I'm working in the schools, we look to see how we can help them function in that school setting. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, early, early on, I try to give a little bit more, um, for parents to help out with at home. So um, especially, you know, I, I'm remembering back to when I was in private practice working with those little ones ages, you know, two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. Lots of times um, we would have the parents come into the therapy room and um, it would be more of a collaborative 
therapy session rather than just the speech therapist working with the child. You know, we show the parent um, how they can work with their child and kind of brainstorm some different things that they can do at home. Um, and of course, you know, depending on what works for the parent, sometimes, you know, they like those worksheets or they like having specific activities mm -hmm. um, or, you know, a stack of materials that they can take back and forth. Um, it just depends on um, what kind of uh, home situation there is um, and what's available in that uh, speech therapy setting. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. So very cool. Um, so I think my, my last question, um, what would you suggest for parents that are, that have some concerns for their children and needing speech therapy? Um, what would be the one thing that you want would or probably say often um to them to sort of put them at ease or that or to look into um getting a speech therapist like what would be your your biggest word of advice for them so definitely trust your gut um if you're a parent that has a child and you're starting to get an inkling, well, maybe there's a speech or language concern, um, talk with your pediatrician or talk with a speech therapist um, and see you know, what they think. Maybe they suggest a screening or maybe they could suggest an evaluation. And it never hurts to get those things done. Um, and, you know, especially since sometimes um, different settings have wait lists, mm -hmm. um, it's always good to kind of be proactive and and check things out um and you know if you're a p parent of a child who's already in speech therapy mm -hmm. um i always recommend um talking with the speech therapist as much as you can to try and get information about what your child is working on um so that you can carry over as much work at home as well um that way you're involved and you know what's going on and you can feel empowered when you do that absolutely that is Excellent advice. So I, I think a lot of parents will appreciate that. And uh, I'm hoping for anyone that, that tunes into this episode that that resonates with them and that they feel comfortable to be able to take that step to reach out and get their child support because it takes a village. It takes a village. For sure. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And sorry about the... Uh, <laughs> technical difficulties but we made it here and we got it done <laughs> we did you know things happen but i'm just glad that we were able to chat today thank you absolutely well thank you so again go to amazon sammy goes to speech to get marissa's book you don't want to miss out on this one so thank you all for tuning in uh you can catch parenting with a punch next week with our guest mama ladder so i look forward to seeing you all then have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye.